This is the Ardella Training Podcast, episode number 56. Welcome to the Ardella Training Podcast, the podcast dedicated to forging athletic bodies around the world. ArdellaTraining.com is the no BS authority in kettlebell and barbell training for today's athlete, coach, and fitness enthusiast. Get strong, build muscle, and forge an athletic body with your host, the scientist of strength, Scott Ardella. Hey guys, what's up? Thanks for being here today. My name is Scott, and if you're new to the show, I appreciate you joining me this week for the podcast. This podcast is dedicated to excellence in strength training and improving our potential. So I really thank you for listening and joining me today. Now, in this session, I've got a great show for you as I'm really excited to bring you this awesome interview with James Clear as we discuss topics in strength training and habit development. I'll tell you about James in just a minute. And also, I want to thank a listener and subscriber to the show, and that's Andrew for sending me an email and suggesting that I do this interview with James. This is really a great suggestion, and I'm glad that this all worked out so that I could bring you this high-value interview. Now, I've got a few quick announcements before we get started and before I, before I tell you about James. If you could please remember to share your review in iTunes or Stitcher, the reviews really, really help to build the show and it's super easy for you to drop in a quick review. It's been great to see all the positive reviews coming in so far this year. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. The second thing is make sure that you listen all the way through to the end of the show because I've got a couple of great book recommendations for you related to the topics that we discuss in this interview. One is a book I read some time ago and one is a book that I recently just picked up and I'll tell you about that at the end. Also, I have some really exciting announcements. I mentioned on the last podcast that are going to be coming very soon and I'm getting closer to announcing what's coming. I have some changes that are happening at ardellatraining.com and some very um, awesome things that are coming soon that I'm excited to tell you about. And I know you're going to be excited about it as well. So if you are interested in getting updates and learning about what's coming and being notified about these awesome things, and I can tell you they're going to be awesome, go to ardellatraining.com and, and join my list of subscribers and your primary email. And I've got some, some great, cool, free resources coming your way as well. Now, I'm really working to build a great community at Ardella Training, and I hope you become a part of it. So go there now. Again, that's Ardella Training, R-D-E-L-L-A, training.com. All right, let me tell you about James before we get into the interview. James Clear is an accomplished writer, entrepreneur, travel photographer, and specialist in the area of habit development. And a big part of what we talk about in this interview is developing positive, successful habits. So you're going to learn a lot and get a lot of insight there in this interview with that topic. James is also a serious weightlifter, and you'll hear about his story and background of weightlifting in this interview as well. As a writer, he's been featured in many major media outlets, including Business Insider, Entrepreneur, Fast Company, Forbes, The Huffington Post, Lifehacker, and U.S. News and World Report. Very uh, accomplished and major media outlets here that James has written for. As a keynote speaker, he's delivered speeches throughout the United States and Europe to audiences as large as 2,000 people. 
Academically, he graduated with a degree in biomechanics from Denison University, where he was also an All-American baseball pitcher. And he also earned his MBA from Ohio State University. James has an amazing website at jamesclear.com with high-quality content. And after speaking to him, I definitely understand why his audience is so engaged. And you'll find out why he's rapidly becoming such an online presence. I'm really excited to share this unique and really valuable interview with James Clear. So let's get started. And as always, think about what you can take away from this interview and take action with after you're done listening to it. So let's dig into this interview with James Clear. All right, guys. Well, I'm really excited about the interview I have for you today. Joining me right now is entrepreneur, weightlifter, and travel photographer, James Clear. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Scott. I appreciate it. As I always like to do, let's dive right into the questions. And for the listeners that aren't familiar with uh, James Clear, can you tell us about uh, your background in training and also a little bit about yourself before we get into things? Sure. So as far as training goes, uh, I grew up as an athlete and played all different types of sports, basketball, baseball, swimming, um, even football for a little while, even though in football, there are guys who are getting hit and guys who are giving hits and I was always getting hit. So, um, (laughs) I I switched uh, to some other stuff that I was better at, but, um, anyway, I I played that all the way through high school and, uh, played, uh, played baseball in college. And then, um, after I got done, I started training on an Olympic weightlifting team so I got into that and I was exposed to the lifts earlier on. My dad had had done a little bit of it when he was younger. And so, you know, I learned the clean and all that stuff from him. So I was familiar with it, but that was the first time that I took it seriously. And then as far as other things go and how they like relate to that, I have always been a science guy. I was a biomechanics major in undergrad. I worked briefly at a medical practice. Um, and then as an entrepreneur, I often write about behavioral psychology and habit formation and how those things relate to achieving our goals in the gym or getting stronger in general or losing weight or, um, you know, all types of other things like building a business and traveling the world. And, uh, that's also where photography fits in for me. I see creativity and, and photography as like, uh, a health pursuit, not just a craft to do. Um, it's a way for me to decrease stress and sort of connect with others and share a message with the world. So, right. The, the central message between all of those things is that the habits that we have and the system that we use to achieve whatever goal you're working on matters, that those, those choices can be optimized, they can be improved. And if you understand how your environment shapes your actions, how your habits work, and how to improve behaviors in general, you can take that framework and apply it to whatever you're working on. So I apply it in the gym, but I also apply it as an entrepreneur in my business or as a photographer when I, when I take uh, pictures. So all of those things are, are sort of wrapped up in that, that same methodology, and that's the training that I came from and how it sort of is weaved together now um, in the articles that I write every week. 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're going to get into the habit stuff here in just a little bit. Um, let's, let's dig into the uh, Olympic weightlifting a little bit more. So, uh, did, did you compete in Olympic weightlifting or did you, were you just involved in it for several years or? Yeah. So once I got done playing baseball, I, I was, I went to graduate school and while I was there, I lived in Scotland for a little while and then came back and joined uh, Columbus weightlifting, which is a team in Columbus, Ohio. And that's, run by Mark Canella, but there are a lot of great lifters on the team. Uh, Drew Dillon and Bob Davis were both great lifters that were in like the top 10 in their weight class when I was there. And then Holly Mangold, who lifted in the 2012 Olympics in London, um, she was an awesome female lifter that was on the team. So basically I was surrounded by people who were much better than I was, but it yeah. was an awesome place to learn the lifts. And I had, you know, great training and great coaches and teammates. And so it was a, it was a great place to be a great place to train every week. Awesome. So I joined them and then, uh, I've done a few meets. Um, I since have moved from Columbus, so I can't compete with them anymore since I'm in North Carolina now, but, um, we still hang out and talk and I, uh, I have continued my training down here. So I'll probably line up a few meets to do later this year. Nice. Nice. So you're still pretty heavily involved, obviously, then if you're getting ready to compete in Olympic weightlifting. Yeah, I, uh, I train pretty much Monday, Wednesday and Friday every week. Um, you know, it's funny sometimes a, a lot of the, the more intense lifters will train more often. Um, especially as you get higher and higher in the, in the ranks, but I just can't, I don't know. My body doesn't handle the recovery as well. I could maybe do four days a week, but that would be about my max. So yeah, anyway, yeah. but yeah, I, uh, I'm still training every week. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very taxing the Olympic lifts. So, um, you know, my background is a former bodybuilder and then a few years ago really got into kettlebell training and then kind of rediscovered the barbell, the right way to use the barbell. And more recently I've kind of uh, transitioned into Olympic weightlifting and it's, uh, it's amazing, really. I mean, I'm still pretty early in the journey, but um, what do you think is so unique uh, about the, the Olympic lifts and who aren't good candidates for Olympic weightlifting? Well, uh, I'll take the candidates piece first. So yeah. I, I think for, you know, obviously, if you have severe mobility issues or if you can't, you know, if you just can't get into positions, then that's going to basically hamper or eliminate your ability to do the lift. So like there's there's a certain threshold for flexibility and and also positional strength. Um, you see that a lot, like at the bottom of the clean, which is basically a front squat position. That's like some, there's some positional strength required there to be able to maintain, um, that the proper technique. And so sometimes you got to work on that stuff. If you're, you know, if you're not flexible or mobile enough or, uh, positionally strong enough to handle the lifts at all. So there's a little bit of that, but, uh, when you, when you think about technique across like a range of body types, there are some great side-by-side uh, -side photos that will break down and show you that lifters who are like six feet, six inches tall and a lifter who's five foot, six inches tall basically are hitting the exact same points in the movement structurally. So even though the levers are slightly different, it may have small idiosyncrasies associated with them. More or less, the movement is the same regardless of body type or body size or weight. Uh, so you can, basically what I'm saying is the excuse of like, oh, I'm not really built for this it doesn't really hold up. Um, you know, yeah. you may not have the strength that you want now, or you may not have the flexibility that you want now, but your body can probably move in that way. Um, so I would say that I would say that. And then the other thing is that a lot of times you'll hear people say funny stuff like, well, I can't, if you're working on technique stuff with like just the bar or just a broomstick handle or a PVC pipe, right. they'll be like, well, my, I, I can't do it right unless I have a little bit of weight on there. Or like, you know, I, my technique is better when I'm holding heavier weight. 
Yeah. But the truth is for world-class uh, Olympians, the, the technique is exactly the same, whether they're flinging around a broomstick or, you know, 170 kilos on the bar. So right. um, the, basically what I'm saying is you don't have to be strong to do the lifts either. Um, the technique can be proper even if the weight is low. Right. So uh, that would be, I guess that would be my response to the who are good candidates for this. And then, you know, and then it comes down to what your other question was, what makes the lifts unique or what makes them special? And I think in comparison to a lot of other lifts in the gym, the thing that does make them unique, I mean, obviously they're great for all kinds of stuff, training athletes and explosiveness and speed and, you know, strength and all that stuff for that, for that they're in my opinion, they're like the kingpin of, of lifts because they provide all of those benefits. But, uh, but the other thing is they're incredibly technical. Now, you know, the squat is technical, the bench press is technical, the deadlift is technical, but they none of them are technical to the degree that a snatch or a clean and jerk are. Yeah, and yeah. because of that, because of that level of technical difficulty, they I think they present an interesting challenge in the gym, which is that you can you can be doing the lifts for 30 years and still have things to work on. Yes. So yes. Um, because of that, it's kind of it. And this doesn't work for everybody's personality. Some people just get frustrated with them and, and don't want to do them anymore. But for me, I love that that process of continual improvement and always having something to work on to deliberately practice each week. And uh, and so in that regard, um, the lifts always give you something that you can improve upon. Yeah. That, you know, that's one of the big hooks for me is just, you know, so with the kettlebell, it was really kind of, you know, rediscovering movement. And I think the Olympic lifts are, are the same way. And, you know, it's like you just said, it's something you, you can continuously evolve and get better at and always work on your technique. And, um, yeah, really, you know, besides all the other benefits, the strength and explosiveness, um, the skill development is just absolutely unbelievable. There's a lot of uh, a lot of satisfaction that comes with mastering a skill too. Yes. Whether it's you know something like making a chair and being a carpenter, or getting better at taking pictures, or cooking, or um, improving the Olympic lifts, and that uh, that piece of it, I think, is awesome. Like you can actually you can feel the mastery coming on something that you know is very difficult. You know, like it, all of a sudden you turn around and three months later you're like. I still feel like I'm failing on this every day, but what I'm doing now, I couldn't have done three months ago. Right. That's that's like a cool place to be, especially early on when you're really learning the technique. It can still be frustrating, but yes. you think back and you know that you're making a lot of progress. Yeah. Certain people, it seems like, you know, really pick pick it up a lot quicker. And for me, you know, my personally, I, I just think that I had a very different movement pattern with the kettlebell, uh, skills. I've, I've talked about this in other shows, so I won't go too much into the detail, but the, the hip pattern is very different with kettlebells compared to Olympic lifts. So I'm kind of, kind of reprogramming the, the movement pattern with the Olympic lifts. And it's, uh, it's a challenge. It is frustrating. No question about it, but it's also that, uh, satisfaction of, you know, chasing, um, you know, the, the, the technical aspect and trying to, to master something. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, I, I, I'm not sure about the movement patterns myself, but it's anything, any movement like that, like you have to, you have to learn how to do the movement appropriately for that task, you know, like, right. so they're all, they're all going to be different, but, uh, that's, yeah, that's yep. interesting. Yeah. So what did you talk about this a little bit, but what is your current training like right now? So you said, uh, you know, meets are in the future for you, but like, what are you doing this week? What are you, what are you working on? Are you, are you doing Olympic lifting? Are you integrating a uh, body weight training? What's kind of the, uh, general, uh, training program that you're implementing right now? 
Yeah, good question. So I stepped back and took a look at what my weak points were and what I thought I needed to spend time focusing on. And for me right now, I think the core focus and the most important thing is improving or increasing my foundational levels of strength. So um, so specifically around back squat, that's where a lot of my energy and focus is going right now. So I like to pick depending on the training cycle I'm in or what's important for me at that time, I like to pick like one or maybe two exercises that I really want to put my best energy towards. And like, this is what I want to spend the next three months or six months really improving. And so right now it's squat. And I think that if I can get my squat up, um, it'll naturally translate into bigger lifts for the clean and jerk and the snatch. And that doesn't mean that the technique is not important because it definitely is, but it's a lot easier to, um, you know, the person who squats 500 pounds has much more upside with the technique than the person who squats 200 pounds. Yeah, so, sure. um, so focusing on the foundational strength, I think will make a big difference. And that's, that's where I'm spending my time. Uh, I had been doing uh, really high volume stuff like sets of eight to 10 and doing, you know, probably like four sets of workout or so at, at like a work weight. Uh-huh. And then, uh, and then I had, and then this most recent cycle, so that was a previous cycle at the end of, uh, a couple months ago. And then, uh, this previous cycle is now dropping down. I'm slowly working my way towards more strength numbers. So like right now I'm doing mostly five by five or something like that. Um, I spend most of my time looking at what I did a week or two, maybe three before like this week, and then just trying to improve slightly, um, on the current week that I'm on. So I don't spend, I used to spend so much time mapping out where do I want to be six months from now, even a year from now, what are the training splits look like? And, you know, doing all this complex stuff with programming. But what happens a lot of time is one life gets in the way. And, you know, like I was sick for a week last month. So if I would have tried to stick exactly to a program that I mapped out three months before, it wouldn't have included that, that one week where I was down and weak. Right. So, um, so being able to make adjustments on the fly, I think is nice. And then the other thing is eventually I've just realized that, committing to the system and getting a little bit better each week will get me to where I want to go anyway. So I don't need to like predict and plan it out six months in advance. Right. When you say committing to the system, you mean kind of committing to a program, specific program? So I mean, committing to the fact that what I really need is not to plan out where I'm going to be six months from now, but just to not miss workouts and to make sure that I'm in the gym getting the reps in. So um, I think about that more than I think about how can I predict where I'm going to be in six months? Cause you know, I could make up a number for what I think I'm going to squat six months from now, but the truth would be that it's made up. And we do this a lot with goals and training. And it's weird because a lot of times we'll set a goal for ourselves, And if we don't reach it, you feel like a failure, even if you're making progress, which is, you know, the exact opposite of how you should feel since you're making progress. Right, so, right. um, there's this whole balance between, you know, I don't think that goals are useless. I think it's, they're great for setting a direction for yourself, but I don't think that it's useful to try to like predict or plan what the outcome will be or what day you'll get there. Right. Um, the number I put up is the number I put up, but I know that if I never miss a workout and I'm in the gym every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm going to start putting up good numbers at some point. Excellent. Well, there was a great quote that stuck out to me. I think one of my uh, past guests on the podcast and he said, progress is progress. <laughs> so that, that's something that always stuck with me. So yeah, it's so true. You know, yeah. so often we confuse progress and achievement. You know, yes. we think that, that the achievement is the thing that we spend so much time on. Did you squat 400 pounds or did you not? But, uh, we spend almost no time. And I, you know, I've even caught myself doing this. Like 
I saw a guy uh, hit a pretty big clean in the gym the other day, and I was like, hey, what's your max? Like, this is the first question I asked him. What is the maximum weight you can do? Not, are you making progress? Have you increased in the last couple weeks? (laughs) You know, like, I'm sitting here talking about this stuff, and I make the same mistakes. And I think that it's so ingrained in us um, as a society to focus only on the achievement and to ignore the the small daily process and those uh, those small, you know, the progress that you make each week. And that really is the only thing that matters. You keep making progress, you get the results anyway. Yeah, that's a great, great point. James, I wonder, do you have any uh, strategies for listeners for training while traveling? Uh, sure. So I've, I've gone through a bunch of different stuff. You know, I mean, the most basic strategy is uh, just to do what you can when you can, right? And so yeah. like I... Um, I arrived in Russia after like a 14 hour flight and it was the middle of the night. And before crashing and going to sleep, I did a push up workout for like 10 minutes and it wasn't much, but you know, it was better than nothing. And, um, I'd done, you know, sprint workouts in apartment parking lots and, you know, all kinds of stuff when you're on the road, whatever, whatever you can do to make it work, pull-ups on tree branches or, you know, whatever's available to you. Right. And, uh, I think, like I said, I think that stuff's better than nothing. Um, it's not optimal, but it's, you know, it works. Um, the one thing you need to get over with that is like worrying about people judging you. A lot of people will be like, Oh, I'm not going to run, you know, sprints in the hotel parking lot. What if people see me or something like that? And you just, you know, at some point you get over that stuff and your training (laughs) is more important than being judged. Right. But so that's one thing. And then another strategy that's worked well for me has been training with friends on the road. So like I went to San Francisco and did a kettlebell workout with my buddy by the golden gate bridge, which was awesome. It was one of the highlights of the trip. Yeah. And so it, things like that where you can plan it in with locals, training with locals or going to their gym or whatever it may be. And then uh, – and that that's a good option as well. The thing that I'm trying now though that I think will work the best, but I'm, I'm trying it this whole year, so we'll see what happens, is planning my training cycles around travel. So yes. this doesn't work – for everybody, because sometimes travel isn't, you know, flexible enough for you to do this. But for me, I think I'm going to be able to make it work where I do like an eight to 12 week training cycle. And then I take a week off, you know, and this built in rest period is going to be there anyway. So I take a week off to recover. And then during that week, that's when I do my travel. And then I come back and I do another eight to 10 week cycle and then another week or whatever. So uh, I think that will work really well. And I walk a lot when I travel, especially if I'm doing street photography, I'm walking all around. So it's, it's kind of like active rest, um, but it's built into the schedule. And so I'm hoping that, that with that, if I take a long-term view, you know, if I do that four or five, maybe six times a year, I'm training 46 weeks, I'm off six weeks and then, but they're, they're built into the cycle. So we'll see. Hopefully I think it should work over a long time span, but this is the first year that I'm trying that. One thing that I've had success with I'll share is the uh, strategy of taking the time off while traveling. And that's just, uh, yeah, that's something I've done the past couple of years and just, just build in that week of travel or, or, or less than a week, you know, maybe if it's a three day or four day thing that I'm traveling for is just build that time off. And that way I'm not so stressed out and I don't feel too bad if I, you know, I didn't do my, my normal workout or, or whatever. And I, so I just, it's just built in and there's just uh, it, it's really worked well for me the past couple of years. So. Yeah. And if you're, but, if it's planned, you don't have to feel guilty about it, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly, it's part, it was exactly. part of the schedule anyway. So that, that does help reduce some stress as well. Um, I find often that, I mean, if you're training on the road, something has to give most of the time. Like I, one time I went to a conference, you know, two hours late because I needed to sleep because I was tired and I wanted to train because I hadn't in a while. So at some point you just have to choose and, and sometimes being able to choose to not train if it's planned is a great option. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right, James, let's uh, switch gears a little bit and let's uh, start talking about uh, some of this uh, habit information, a lot of uh, what you write about on your website. So obviously habits are a major contributor to uh, individual success, but I think that people really have a hard time with replacing bad habits with good habits. What, what do you think is the critical first step in developing good habits? Well, there's a lot of places you could go with it. I think for most people, if you know the habit that you want to start and it's important to you to to start it. So that's that's one thing. It it needs to be important to you. You know, if it's not important to you, you probably won't stick with it. And um that doesn't mean you have to love it or you're passionate about it, but it's just something that is actually important to you. But if it is and you know what you want to start, then I think one of the best pieces of advice I can give is to start with something that's so easy that you can't say no to it. Or another way to uh, to phrase it is you should start with something that takes less than two minutes to do. And these are ideas that I got from Leo Babauta and the two, the two minute rule is uh, is adapted from David Allen's book, Getting Things Done. But the basic idea is, you know, let's say that you want to do something like like you want to make running a new habit or a new routine. And you have a plan to run three miles when you get home from work today. Well, you might get home from work and feel tired or stressed or, you know, you just don't feel like doing it. And the thought of running three miles is overwhelming um, to, to think about doing that much. And you're just like, it's too much to think about, so you decide not to do it. Instead, what you could do is rather than making your goal be to run three miles, your goal could simply be something that you can get done in two minutes. So like get your running shoes on and step out the front door. And that's it. Like if you do that, you've (laughs) succeeded. You don't need to do anything else. But what often happens is that there's this like inertia that comes with starting something. And if you just get started and get your shoes on and get out the door, you end up taking a few steps and pretty soon the miles click by anyway. And um, I, I think that strategy has worked really well. As another example, I was having lunch with a friend last week, and he uh, he lost three hundred or he lost a hundred pounds in I don't know it, was, it took over a year or so. But when he started adding exercise into his routine, he made a rule for himself where he was not allowed to stay at the gym for more than five minutes. So that was like that was all he was allowed to do. He went to the gym. He went there, you know, four or five days a week or whatever it was for his schedule. But he could only stay for five minutes. And after like a month or so, he was like, I kind of kind of feel like staying here longer than five minutes now. Yeah. And um, so it's almost like reverse psychology, teaching yourself to start so small that you can't say no to it and then just building from there. And this is a completely opposite approach from what most people take when they think about getting fit or achieving really any goal. Most of the time people focus on the end goal, the big thing that they want to achieve, right? This like castle in the sky, the let me lose a hundred pounds or something like that. But instead I'm saying focus on the completely opposite side, which is how's the smallest, easiest way you can get started and focus only on that. And if you choose, if you can do that and prove to yourself for a month or two months, hey, I'm the type of person who doesn't miss a workout. Yes, I'm there for five minutes, but I have not missed. Well, then it becomes very easy to optimize from there because you've already proven, okay, I'm not going to miss a workout. Now let's start thinking about what I'm going to do when I'm here. So the key then is to really start small and build the momentum. Yeah, well, it's here's here's another analogy or an example to, to clarify it a little bit more. So I, uh, I was talking to my friend Sebastian Marshall, and he was telling me about this, uh, this metaphor that he was using with a client. And the idea is we all have goals that we want to achieve, or we all have a dream that we're working towards or you know something we want to improve. And for us, that's the castle, 
It's the, you know, it's the thing that we dream about this great, you know, losing a hundred pounds might be your castle or, um, squatting 50 pounds more might be your castle, whatever the goal is that you have. And most people like to focus on just on the castle. Like think about the dream and focus on this big thing that they want to achieve. But the truth is when you get up close to it, a castle is just a bunch of rocks, right? It's like just someone decided to piece them together and lay them down rock by rock, brick by brick and build the castle. And so the difference is most people will focus on the castle. I'm saying focus on just laying down another rock. Think about how you can do that. And that's right. a very small right. step, but it leads to the same result. And the diff- it's the difference between focusing on the goal or focusing on the system. Right. And the system is what leads there. You know, it's important to have the goal so that you know what you're working toward. But once you know what you're working toward, the only thing you need to think about is the system. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I'm going to ask you for a couple more specific examples on exactly what you, you just spoke about. So let's take that uh, analogy to nutrition. So someone that wants to make a positive nutritional change, what, what would be the, uh, the scenario, the example around a better nutritional habit? Yeah. So nutrition is a great example because I, I don't know why, but with this one thing, for some reason, a lot of times people are very like all or nothing in their thinking. So they think I have to stick to my diet plan. And if I break my diet, then I failed and I might as well just give up and like, you know, start to try to find a new diet or something like that. Right. Um, and right. it happens. It's weird how often it happens. It's like if you have one bad meal, people feel like they failed on the whole diet, which is if we take our castle analogy, equivalent to laying like one bad brick and assuming that the whole building will fall down. It's like, just take the brick away and put down a new one. Um, so anyway, an example would be, let's say that you're, you're trying to eat healthy. You don't have to change every meal that you're doing. Just focus on buying like one new vegetable this week at the grocery store. So that's that's something that's so small. I mean, that takes 30 seconds. You're going to be there anyway to buy food. Just pick up a new vegetable that you haven't bought before and buy that. Um, so that could be one focus. Another focus could be this week, instead of drinking whatever it is you normally have, just drink water. That's the only change. I mean, you know, it's not going to take you long at all to fill up a glass of water instead of something else. Just focus on that. You don't have to do anything else. And by taking this small step approach, you can gradually increase and improve and add new behaviors in without any of them being overwhelming. Each change that you make should almost feel easy. I mean, you should never be picking something that is so radical of a change that it's a hassle for you. And that is pretty much exactly what people do with diets most of the time. They choose to completely change their diet overnight and try to transform into someone totally new. You can get there um, without doing that. Just choose to start by doing things that are really small. What are your thoughts on picking one new habit a month? So I've heard some people advocate, you know, just pick one habit a month to focus on. It takes about 30 days roughly, um, although some science disputes that, um, to, to form a new habit. So what are your thoughts on one new habit per month? Yeah. I mean, I think that's fine to initiate, you know, a new behavior to add something to your life. Some people like having that, uh, you know, that box or that decision-making process that can give them like a finite time for when they should add something in. I definitely think that there's no time, you know, 30 days is not some magic number. Uh, it's going to depend on one, the habit that you're performing, but two, a bunch of other stuff that's very unique to you, your circumstances and where you're living and the environment that you're in like that. I have written about that a lot as well. Environment design and choice architecture and how the things that are around you, whether they be the things on your desk at work or the items in your kitchen at home, how those impact the choices that you make. Many habits that people have are just, they're just responses to the environment that you're in. If you took a hundred people and placed them on a beach 
most of them would feel relaxed and, you know, relatively happy. Right. But if you take the, right. took those same hundred people and put them in a war zone, most of them would feel very stressed and worried and anxious. Yeah. And it's not that, that it's, you know, has something to do with their personality or who they are. That's just a response to their environment. So those are two extreme examples, but it works the same way on a smaller scale. The things that you eat are a response to what is around you. The things that you do or the behaviors that you have are often a response to the way that your room is designed or the things that are available to you at the time, whether it be at your office or at your home. So as another example or as a a more normal example, if you walk into most living rooms in America, all of the couches and chairs face the television. So if you go and sit down in that room, what is the natural first thing that you're going to do? Like most people are going to turn the TV on because that's what the room is designed for. Right. Now, I'm not saying that you need to change the way your entire house is designed, but <laughs> if you adjusted the way that that room was structured and had a chair facing in a different direction and instead of having the remote on the table, you had a book there and instead of having the television out, you had it you know, behind a cabinet or a door or something, it might be a lot easier to make a different decision. The room wouldn't be driving you in that direction. So environment can play a big role in the habits that you have as well. I've heard, or I should say, I've read about uh, habits and some people will refer to uh, good habits as daily success rituals. What what does that mean to you? And do you think that's a good term for strong habits? Uh, Sure. I mean, whatever term works for you is the, is the term that's the best, but I, uh, I don't think that a habit has to be daily. Now here's the, okay, here's the interesting thing. If we're going to get into the semantics of it, just to, to provide some clarity. So if you look at the science or the research behind a lot of this stuff, when most researchers are talking about habits, they're talking about a behavior that is automatic, something that's really quick. Usually that happens in less than 30 seconds. So like flossing your teeth could become an automatic behavior, something you just do without even really thinking about it or brushing your teeth. But most of the things that we've talked about so far, like eating healthy or going to the gym, you know, going to the gym for an hour is never going to be like an automatic routine that you have no conscious thought about, right? Like you can't just shut your brain off for an hour while you're at the gym and you're, you're going to be thinking about it. But so that's like the difference between something that is a routine or something that is actually a habit. Um, but we, we often use the term, Hey, I want to make a habit out of working out or I want to make a habit of eating healthy. So there's, there's a little bit of crossover there in the terms that we use, but they are, they are slightly different. Um, but with that said, I think that you can absolutely still, you know, focus on building those routines and building that, uh, that system and process, um, often in, in a relatively similar way, you know, like most habits, the, the, the small automatic behaviors like flossing your teeth will, follow some type of routine where there's something that triggers it that causes it to happen. And you can do the same thing with a larger, uh, a larger goal, like working out where you can set a schedule for yourself and have, whether it be a time of day or the task that it comes after act as the trigger for this other behavior. Right. I wonder if you can talk about maybe share some of your own, well, daily success rituals or, or daily habits or, or good habits that you've maybe implemented over the past six to 12 months, some things that have worked really well for you. Sure. So there are, there's a wide range of stuff all the way from small things like, uh, flossing consistently. And that was a little bit of some environment design stuff where I bought the, I looked at what was holding me back from doing it every time. Like I always brush my teeth, but I wouldn't always remember to floss. So what was the issue there? And a lot of times it was because the floss was tucked away in a drawer and I, it was a pain to like pull it out and wrap it around my fingers. And there's like extra work involved. So I cut out the steps 
by buying the pre-made flossers and putting them in a bowl and having them right next to the toothbrush. So it was like shift the environment, the behavior becomes easier. Right. Um, same way with uh, drinking water. So like I pretty much drink, exclusively drink water and I've been doing this for longer than a year. But um, that just came down to having it more available. So I just pretty much have a large glass of water around me all the time and naturally I drink more water. Sure. So that was uh, – those are two small shifts. Bigger stuff like related to my business are huge thing that has made – I mean it's made an incredible difference for me. We probably wouldn't be having this interview right now if I hadn't been doing this. Um, <laughs> is writing my writing schedule. So I used to write whenever I felt inspired. And that in many ways is very similar to how people approach their weightlifting or their, their exercise routine. They're always wondering when am I going to be motivated to work out next? Or when am I going to feel inspired to go to the gym? And for most people, they don't, because they don't have a schedule for when they go to work out, they're always wondering like when that next time will be, they're hoping they're motivated to do it tonight or whenever. And that's how I used to be with my writing. I would just write whenever I got this spark of inspiration. Well, about a year and a half ago, I decided, okay, that's enough of that. So I, um, I set a Monday, Monday and Thursday publishing schedule for myself. And that came out of a conversation I had with my friend, Todd Henry, who is a published author and much better writer than I am. And I said, Todd, I, I pretty much only write when I feel motivated or inspired. What do you think of that? And he was like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I write when I'm motivated too. It just happens to be every day at 8 a.m. And so I started <laughs> nice. thinking about that yeah. more and I was like, this is the, that's the difference between professionals and amateurs, yes. right? Like yes. amateurs do stuff when they're motivated, when it's easy for them, when right. they feel inspired. Professionals do stuff on a schedule. They set a, a routine for when they're going to do something and they show up and get to work every day. And when I started approaching my writing like that and published something every Monday and Thursday on jamesclear.com, lo and behold, became the most popular website that I've created. And, um, you know, the community's grown. It's been, it's been great for me in all ways. So yeah. having, having that schedule has been big. I do the same thing with weightlifting. You know, I've already mentioned I have my Monday, Wednesday, Friday lifting schedule. And then um, on an even bigger scale, now I'm applying those same principles to things like international photography trips. So I, uh, I already mentioned how I plan around travel by doing my lifting cycle and then have my one week where I'm traveling. But that is, that's designed as a routine, as a schedule. It's like eight weeks on in the gym, then one week off where I'm away doing travel photography work. So that, uh, that's also how I've thought about building that schedule or that routine in on something that is, you know, much larger than flossing or drinking water. Right. Right. I was debating whether I was going to ask this question or not, but why do you think that some habits would be easier than others. In, in my example, I'll, I'll share something here is, um, you know, you mentioned writing and training and well, writing is something, or I'm sorry, training has been something that has come easy for me for 30 plus years now. And it's just, um, it's kind of an automatic thing that I do. And, you know, writing is something that I'm trying to get more consistent with. I always know that I'm going to train according to my program that I'm doing. And it's just, you know, I have that block time and that's, that's my training time and that's it. I don't want to say that I write only when I'm inspired. I, I try to get more consistent, but it's, it's still a challenge. And uh, so the question is, you know, wh- why are some things easier than other things? So I think, I mean, there, I'm sure there can be a lot of different answers to this, but there are two things that jumped out to me as, as you were talking and as, were, as I thought about this question. So yeah. the first is environment. So we've already, we've already talked about, you know, the, the shift that like a small environment change can make. 
for flossing or for, you know, the things on your desk or whatever. But it's also true of the people that you hang out with and the people that you're around. Like they cra- help craft your environment. And if you're surrounded by people who it's normal for them to lift and to train and to not miss workouts, then it naturally becomes more normal for you to not miss workouts. Meanwhile, if you're surrounded by people who write consistently and deliver every single week, then it's going to become more normal for you. Like it helps shift your worldview. So uh, having that can be one thing. And then there's also physical environment changes. Like, you know, do you have a clean space to work in? Do, Do you have an environment that makes it easier for you to write or are there distractions that creep in? Like, you know, you wouldn't want to lift in a gym with a kickball team playing in the middle of it, right? Like that would be a distraction that would take <laughs> right, take right. you away from your workout. Well, yeah. same way with writing, you know, like you wouldn't want to write in a room with a television on or music or other people running around or whatever. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but just to yeah. illustrate the example. Yeah. So you can, there are plenty of ways you can craft your environment or simplify to make it easier for you to get that work done. Yeah. Um, and honestly, you know, it's funny, I, I talk about people walking around the room, but with and with a laptop, it can be the same way on your screen, right? Like, how many tabs do you have open? Are you messing around on Facebook or Twitter? What else is distracting you for on screen uh, and in that real estate in that space from doing the work? Sure. So, so those are those are some things. But the other thing, and perhaps the more powerful thing, is identity. And so, uh, to give you an example, think about like a runner. You know, like there there could be two types. Like there could be one person who says all right, I want to start running because I want to run a half marathon. And so they work towards that goal and they, you know, they want to complete this race. And then there are other people who run and they, you know, they might train for the same half marathon, but the real reason that they're running is because they're a runner. It's who they are. It's like part of their identity. So once you get to the end of that race, the person who ran it just to run the race, a lot of times they'll stop training because it was like, well, that was my goal. I did it. Now I don't have anything pushing me forward. Meanwhile, the person who was running because it was part of their identity, they keep running because it's who they are. It's just like what they do. And for you, it sounds like showing up at the gym, like that's just part of your identity, (laughs) right? Like that's who you are. You're not, you're not doing it for, I mean, you could, you could be training for something. You could do a competition. You could, there could be all other things associated with it. But when you get down to it, it's just part of who you are and what you believe about yourself. And at some point, you know, I can't say exactly when it happened, but at some point that happened after you did enough workouts. And this is where I think it translates to writing or whatever else you're working on. If you do something enough, if you take a behavior enough times, each time you take it, it's like a signal to your brain that says, I believe this about myself. I'm proving that I can do it. And this is important to me. And if you do that enough, you start to believe that new identity. And that's for me, you know, like I was very inconsistent with writing, but after doing it every Monday and Thursday for a year and a half, it's just what I do now on Mondays and Thursdays. It's not, there's no debate about it, about whether it'll occur. It's just like part of my identity now. And, um, like I said, it it can take a while to do that. And this comes back also to the things we talked about earlier, like making sure you start with something that's so simple. You can't say no to it. Like I put out some crappy articles in the beginning. There's some stuff that just wasn't good, but (laughs) I wasn't doing it to judge how good it was. I was doing it to focus on getting the craft done and proving to myself, I can do this without missing a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course I want to create something great every Monday and Thursday, but it, in a lot of ways, it's exactly like the gym, to be honest. Yes. Uh, you know, if I write every Monday and Thursday, I know that on average I'll produce eight or nine articles a month and I can't predict which ones will be good. But I know that if I write eight or nine, two or three of them will be popular. 
And it's the same way in the gym, right? Like I can't predict which days I'm going to put up a big number, but I know that if I show up every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, there's going to be some days when I hit a PR. Yeah. That's a great analogy. That really resonates with me because, you know, again, you know, you train through a month and yeah, every workout is not going to be, you know, knock it out of the park, uh, solid workout. And, you know, Dan John talks about this, you know, sometimes you're going to have this punch the clock type workout, but you're also going to have the, those really good workouts as well. It's just not going to happen every day. And I think, um, that that's just a really good analogy. So I, I yeah, well, you basically are giving yourself permission to have below average workouts, right? Yeah. Like that's, you know, you're saying, I know it's going to happen sometimes, but I'm going to keep showing up. Well, it's the same way with writing or anything else. Like you have to give yourself permission to write stuff that's below average. Not that that's the goal. Of course it never is, but it's the cost that you have to pay on the way to getting something that's excellent. Right. You just got to keep plugging away. (laughs) I mean, that's the bottom line. So, uh, James, let's talk about your, your site, jamesclear.com. Um, a lot of great information there. I, I recently kind of came onto this site. As a matter of fact, I first heard about your site from Dan John, who I interviewed, and he had mentioned that he was reading an article on your site during that interview. So can you tell listeners that haven't been there yet, what, what is the goal with the site and what are you hoping it serves for people? Yeah, well, first, it's really nice of Dan to mention that uh, he's a great guy. He does awesome work, so it's it's a uh, it's a privilege to have him reading and to have you reading. So, I uh, as far as the goal with the site, I'm, as I mentioned before, the the central theme is around behavior change and habit formation. But I I prefer much more to be a practitioner than like someone who talks just about theory and ideas. Um, I you know I respect the science. I try to back a lot of the stuff that I write with research. But at the end of the day, I think that's like the athlete in me. I, I want to be in the gym trying it. I want to be writing the articles and creating, building a business. I want to be, you know, out in the world and traveling and, um, you know, pursuing adventure and creating photos. I think that's just as important because a lot of times, you know, an idea can sound great in theory and it, it can take some work to come up with good ideas. But at the end of the day, anyone can have an idea. It's putting it into practice that, you know, that really makes the difference and is the hard part. So I try to stay balanced with both of those. And so my articles will cover research and, you know, and uh, the science behind ideas, but then it'll also draw on my own experience and what it looks like to implement things in the real world. So that's, uh, that's usually what I write about. Um, there's a, a contact form on the website. So if people have questions about what we talked about or if they want to reach out to me, they're free to do that. And, uh, like I've said before, I publish new articles every Monday and Thursday. Excellent. What do you recommend for a new visitor to the site? Where should they start? So I have a, I have a best of page and that lists, you know, some of my most popular pieces of content, but probably the number one thing, especially based on what we've talked about today, if people are interested in learning more or reading more, I put together a guide. It's about 45, 46 pages called transform your habits. And it summarizes some of the ideas we talked about and then, you know, dozens of others, uh, for, behavior change and implementing new things and achieving your goals. And so a lot of that is, uh, is covered in that guide and people can download that for free at jamesclear.com slash habits. And, uh, that, that'd probably be a great place to start. Fantastic. Well, the big question I like to ask as we wrap up the interview is, uh, someone that's listened through all the way to this point, what action should they do after listening to this interview? So what recommendation can you uh, tell someone to take after hearing this interview? Yeah, great question. I love that you ask it. I think one of the problems with, you know, a lot of interviews or uh, articles or, you know, wherever we get information is that we'll read something and get through and be like, oh, yeah, that sounded like a decent idea. Or maybe there's one thing that spoke to you. And then we move on with the rest of our lives. And I think my encouragement would be 
everything that I said today is probably not a perfect fit for you or your circumstances, but the, the conversation that we've had, whether it's around taking an action that's so small that you can't say no to it or starting with something that takes less than two minutes or adjusting your environment and making a change there that makes a habit formation easier or any of the other things that we, we talked about. There's probably one or maybe two things that really you were like, oh, that could fit in my circumstance. That could fit for my situation. Just focus on that thing and actually do something with it um, rather than, you know, there are plenty of ideas that we threw out in the last hour. You don't need to do them all. Just pick one and actually make some progress. And that I think is is more than worth the time that it took to, to listen to this interview. Absolutely. Well, I love it. I mean, again, that's the whole goal of the show is obviously to provide quality content and education, but then ultimately have people take action with the information. So as a listener, I hope that uh, there's one thing that you learned during this interview that you can take action with. I guarantee one thing that I, there are a few things that I learned during this interview that I will take action with. So jamesclear.com. Uh, Go check out the website. It's, uh, it's fantastic. James, thank you so much for being here today. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. You got it. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to the interview. I hope that you learned a lot from James, and I want to thank James Clear for sharing the great insight around habit development and certainly sharing the other information around weightlifting and his journey into strength training and um, a lot of good insight in that interview, different from things that uh, we've done in the past on the podcast. So again, I hope you got value from it and I hope that there are one or two things that you can take away and use and apply. That's what it's all about. Now, James mentioned one great book in there and that was The Power of Less. So if you haven't read that book, that's a really outstanding book that covers habits and a lot more. That book covers a lot of other information as well and it's a really pretty easy read. So I highly recommend that book. And I think other people on the podcast have mentioned that book as well. I think actually Jason Ferrugia was one of the other people that mentioned that book. So I have two books for you. One of them I'm reading right now and one I read some time ago. So the one that I read some time ago is a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. This is a really comprehensive book on habit development, kind of, kind of the science behind developing habits. So I, I really recommend this book. It's, it's a big book. It's a heavy read, but it's also a framework for developing good habits. So that's why I recommend it. So The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and in Business, really good book and a really deep dive in habit development. So if you haven't seen that or read it, I definitely recommend that. Put that on your reading list as well. And the book I'm reading right now, which is a little bit different, but ties to what we talked about in the show, is a book called Daily Rituals by Mason Curry. And as a matter of fact, James Clear had mentioned this book in a recent post on his site. This is a really interesting book, Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. And it's basically a bunch of mini case studies. It's the book is actually a couple hundred pages, but there are very short case studies with several artists, creatives, filmmakers, scientists, sculptors, philosophers, and basically it outlines what was their daily ritual that they did that made them so successful. So it's really interesting. Like I said, I, I just got this book. I've only read a, a couple of the case studies at this point. But it's really interesting on kind of what successful people do every day. What was their daily success ritual that, that they did? 
and it gives you great insight. So Stephen King, for example, is, you know, he wrote every single day. He got up and he wrote from early in the morning until early afternoon, but he did it every single day. And he had these daily quotas that he did every single day. So just a bunch of case studies like that and really an interesting read. So I highly recommend Daily Rituals if you haven't seen this book. And this is a, a new book and a book that I literally just got a few days ago. So just two books that I thought would uh, tie in nicely to the subjects that we talked about in this episode. And again, I hope you got value from it. So that does it for episode 56. Thank you for listening. I, have, uh, I will have a great episode for you next week on the show, of course. And until then, this is Scott. Train strong, train safe, and I'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Ardella Training Podcast. Go to ardellatraining.com right now to join Scott's tribe of passionate fitness enthusiasts. Get valuable updates and resources that will help you take it to the next level. Train strong. We'll catch you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast.